You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. If you will, I'd like to talk about adoption for a little bit. I mean, we're, we're, we're very familiar with this process, and we see it in our world today where families adopt children in need, and Something we might not be as familiar with, though, is that the Bible speaks of adoption. The Bible talks about adoption slightly differently. In our world, only those who are in need of parents are adopted. Those who have parents are fine and don't need this adoption to happen to them. Well, this is where it is different from what the Bible talks about. The Bible says that we are all in need of adoption to save us and to bring us to life. The Bible directly correlates adoption with salvation. Ephesians chapter 1 says, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. So this all points out the similarity between adoption and salvation. And the reason I mention this, I think this similarity and the, the, the text, the lesson from John this morning will be helpful to look at in light of adoption. In, with the process of adoption, you have different people playing different roles and, uh, that each person will fill. For, the, for our benefit, I think it'll be good for us to understand these roles and the connection with, with the, the text will be helpful so that we, I will introduce a hypothetical family. For simplicity's sake, let's just call it the Jones family. So the Jones family, they're not able to have children. So adoption is going to be the only way that they can have any kids. Now this, this fact does, does not bother the Joneses though. They will love this child and they will treat it as though it was naturally born to them. So this family, they do go and get this child. They bring it home. And in the early years of this child being in the home, one of the big things that's going to happen is there are things in this new atmosphere, this new environment that are going to scare the child. Like if a book falls, or the phone rings, or the door slams. These things are going to scare this child. The Joneses' child is going to have to be taught and learn that there's really nothing to fear. That these noises are not going to harm him, and he has no reason to be afraid. When it does happen, the Joneses' parents, or the child's parents, are going to come and scoop up this child that is crying. They're going to comfort him and show him that there's nothing to fear. Now, this is a wonderful image. You, you have this child fretting, scared, thinking its, its safety is about to crash in, concerned about its future. And the parents come over and they scoop up this child, comfort them, and assure him that there's nothing to be afraid of. Well, the Lord does this for us as well. The big difference, though, between the Jones 
And what the Lord does is with the Jones family, at some point in time, they probably won't have to comfort their child. Well, this is not the case with our Lord. We can never outgrow the comfort He has and gives to us. That's why He comes to us in His Word and in the lesson today. Now, I don't want to be so bold as to compare the disciples exactly to a whining, crying baby, but it does point out the issue of fear that is behind the events. In verses 5 through 9, you will see their fear concerning the crowd that is coming. Lifting up his eyes, then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? So here, you can kind of see that the disciples are starting to be concerned. Their, their fear is bubbling up because they don't know what they're going to do for this huge crowd that is coming. Well, Jesus poses this question to see how they're going to respond. Jesus knows what he's going to do for the crowd. And here he's trying to teach his disciples that there's not, they have no reason to be concerned. Well, this is our state also. We might think that we might be better at managing our fear as the disciples were. We might not be like the Joneses infant whenever something scares us and scream and cry. But we're really no different. We still have that same fear. I mean, we're, we're constantly, we can be often concerned about our jobs so, so that we're crying over our jobs. What if, what if I lose my job? What am I going to do? Well, this fear of losing our job is ill-informed to begin with because it really assumes that you were able to get that job apart from God's provision. And that's not so. God gave us our first job or whatever, and if we lose that, if it's God's will, He will give us another job. And even even tougher, it, it might be possible that the first job was taken from us to remind us that He is the one from which we get our daily bread and not ourselves and our ability to keep our own jobs. Well, employment is just one example. This is not the only place where we're given into fear. We're often afraid of where our nations are heading, what our kids are doing, all these things that shake our security and our confidence and our peace. So it's easy, easy for us to be afraid of the sounds or the scary things out in this world, just as the Jones's baby was. But we forget about our Father. Well, continuing on a little bit, what is likely to happen next as we, as we learn about our fear and we even become better at controlling it, the next thing that often happens is we try to fix things ourselves. Now, back to the Joneses family. I think they might experience this as well with their child. So let's assume some time passes. And the child grows and is becoming less and less afraid of its environment. 
child becomes more and more independent and begins to think that it can, he can fix all his own problems. Let's assume this happens in teenage years. I'm sure that's really not the story that is really happening out there. But for the purpose of this sermon, let's just assume it's true. The Jones's child is approaching a point where his parents are actually becoming the last people he is going to go to. He's beginning to think he can fix all his answers, or fix all his own problems, and answer all his own questions. Yet again, it seems like this is the case with all of us. The disciples even struggle with this problem. The disciples have been with Jesus for several miracles. He has healed many people of their diseases. He has cured several people just by speaking. But apparently that's not enough. Apparently it must be easier to miraculously heal people than it would be to come up with food. Now Jesus asks this question to see where their trust is. And their response shows us exactly where they're placing their trust. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Here, they're apparently in the same situation as the Joneses' child now. They think that they have to have all the answers and the solutions themselves. They're trusting in their own ability to solve problems rather than trusting in the Lord and His ability to take care of them. This problem also is more common with us than we would like to think. How often do we have the attitude, well, I've got to do something or nobody else will. This is a very common phrase that I've heard. I've even thought of it myself. Well, somebody's got to do something or, or it won't happen. Or, or frequently, we won't reach out for help until we have to. We'll exhaust all possibilities of solving problems ourselves, coming up with the solution uh, answers ourselves before we even attempt to reach out. Now, to do this is not trusting in other people for help. It's desperation. It's lack of any other choices. But the point being, after we go to these other people for help, within families, friends, whatever, if they can't help us, then who's our last resort? Who do we often go to as a last resort? It's often God. Now see, with this being our sinful nature and the, the way we approach things, I mean, it's no wonder we go through so many trials and sufferings. Our sinful, sinful pride and arrogance, thinking that we can solve our own issues, our own problems, is constantly needing discipline. It might even be that we could eliminate some of our sufferings if we would just trust in God like we're supposed to. And this is, this is what pastor's constantly talking about when he says we begin to trust in God. We can never do it completely and it'll never be perfected until we're called home or Jesus comes again. Now with all of this in mind, I'd like to 
like to look a little bit at the circumstances of adoption. And how adoption really has nothing to do with the value of the one being adopted. The Joneses family, they didn't adopt this child because it would someday make them money or benefit them. They adopted the child because they wanted to love the child. They wanted to care for this child. They wanted this child to become part of their family. So the child takes on their name and benefits from being a member of the Joneses family. Now these benefits and gifts that the child receives are not dependent on what the child does. It, it would be like as though, as though the Joneses put together some sort of contract with the state that, that the child would be theirs as long as he becomes a doctor, a lawyer, or something successful. The child would only be a true member of the family if he behaves a certain way. I mean, this is, this is silly. The, the Joneses family didn't say, if this child is rebellious and unsuccessful, we're going to strip him of our name and even send him a bill for all that we have provided him with. He was adopted. He was their child. And is theirs no matter what. So this is with the Lord. And the adoption He has for us. We are His adopted children. And He died on the cross to sign our paperwork. He signed His name in His blood. And He adopted us. Just like the Joneses adopted their child. It had nothing to do with the value of of ourselves because we know that in ourselves we have no value. Jesus wasn't getting anything great. He was getting a bunch of, of fearful, ungrateful rebels. He didn't care. He died to save us from this. And now, now we are covered with His blood and are of more value than anything. We are heirs of heaven and seen as perfect as He is. And it's for this exact reason that we have nothing to fear. We can trust wholeheartedly in Him. We don't need to be like the Joneses' child. We can learn from the disciples and from the lesson today. Jesus then took the loaves, and when He had given thanks... He distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve ba- baskets with fragment, fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Because we are his purchased, redeemed children, He will not deny any good thing for us. He will even give us more than we could could possibly need. This is the whole reason what this reading was uh, in, in the text for, about the leftovers. To show that Jesus gives, and He gives abundantly more than we could want. Jesus gives all we could possibly need for life and more. Now this, this is one true, true fact 
that would be helpful for us to keep in mind. Because we often are clouded by our sinful flesh. We often approach the Father as dirty, rotten sinners. Now back, back to this adoption image. I mean, think about it. Could you imagine what it would be like if the Jones's child kept coming to his parents, scared and afraid, as though he weren't welcome in his own home? Or even, what if our own children kept coming to us as though we were strangers, as though they were terrified just even to speak to us? Well, this wouldn't sit well with us. We wouldn't be happy with that. We want our children to know our love and to to approach us in the relationship of this family. Our Heavenly Father has this in mind for us as well. He wants us to come to Him confident and not fearing. wants us to come trusting in Him completely. And He will give all we need because we are His redeemed, purchased children. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We hope you were blessed by today's Word of Hope. Hope Lutheran Church is located at 1345 Macon Street in Aurora, Colorado. Their weekly schedule is as follows. Sunday morning worship at 915, adult Bible class and youth Sunday school at 1045 a.m. On Tuesday mornings, there is a matin service at 830 a.m. with a Bible class to follow at 930 a.m. You can find out more about Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org. That's www.hope-aurora.org. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in His grace.